a question that our text raises for us. And what is the name or what's in the name of Jesus? The question is not so much how he got his name. It's not even about what it signifies, what it means. It means God saves. Rather, what is it that makes the name of Jesus so powerful? And that's what we're going to be looking at here. So I invite you to join with me. I'm, we're looking in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 31. I invite you to uh, turn there in your Bibles. Acts chapter 4, verse, beginning with verse 1. I'm just going to read through verse 4 right now. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming him Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested him and put them in custody until the next day. For it was already evening, but many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. Let's back up and let's review what happened. Peter and John had performed a miracle, as you know. They had healed a lame man. Then they are up in the temple area. uh, After they heal him, they go up into the temple courtyard. A crowd follows them. And Peter, being a good preacher that he is, takes that opportunity to preach. And he testifies to the power of Jesus. And he calls the people to repent of their sins and to acknowledge Jesus as their Messiah. Now, apparently, John was also teaching as well. So, as I mentioned, they're in the temple courtyard. A commotion is being caused. People have gathered around. And so, the temple authorities, with their temple police force, they now enter the scene. And note what particularly troubles them. It's in verse 2. The two apostles were teaching and proclaiming in Jesus' the resurrection from the dead. Now, in the book of Acts, we're going to see that the main opposition party uh, against the uh, apostles are not the Pharisees. You know, in the Gospels, it was always the Pharisees contending against Jesus and his disciples. Now it's the Sadducees who take up the cause. And they have double reason for opposing the apostles. They would have objected, of course, to Jesus being brought back into the picture. They thought that they had gotten rid of him. But the second thing that really bothers them is that these apostles had the gall to proclaim the resurrection and that it was demonstrated by Jesus' resurrection. See, the Pharisees at least did believe in the final resurrection to come. The Sadducees... Well, they were the liberals of their day. They did not believe that there was anything after death. You die, you're dead. Nothing is going to rise. Not a soul, nothing. Now, let's continue on, beginning in verse 5 through 12. They're here now. They're standing before uh, the authorities. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with uh, Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and Joseph, and Alexander, 
and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined together concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And the religious authorities, they get straight to the point with that question in verse 7 when they ask, by what power or by what nation did you do this, that you healed this man? They did not in that day know about superheroes. They didn't know about aliens and stuff who could come in and, and do super things all by their own power. Power to perform miracles, they knew this. It came from one of two sources. There is God, who but, for example, Moses and Elijah, they, they did miracles by him. And in those cases, when they did their miracles, it was clearly spoken of and known to be the work of God. But you might remember how Moses got in trouble one time when he hit the rock and he just said, do you want me to bring water from this rock? And he got in big trouble, big time. Because of that, he couldn't go into the promised land. No, humans are merely the instruments through whom God performs his mighty deeds. Now, the other source, possible source, is the enemy of God, that is, Satan. You might recall the, uh, the Pharisees. They attributed to Jesus' power to cast out demons. They said, well, he's, he's, he's getting that from the, the prince of demons, from Satan, from Beelzebub. So now the question for these disciples is, to whom are you going to attribute the miracle of healing this layman? And you think about this. All Peter and John had to do was say this. Well, we did it by the power of the Lord God, the God of Israel. They would have been correct. And they would have been safe. But what happens? Well, what happens is what Jesus told them would happen. He had said that the day would come that you would be brought to trial before authorities And don't worry about what to say, that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he will do the talking. And that's what happens. Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he testifies to the name of Jesus. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this man is standing before you well. And there he was. There was the beggar. So, Peter had said to him, when he had first healed him, he had said this. In the, uh, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. 
That's what had happened. He had told the crowd the same thing in chapter 3, verses 12 and 16. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at this as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? At his name, that is Jesus' name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. But Peter doesn't leave it there, does he? Peter's not content with just crediting healing to Jesus. Now, the healing was testimony to a far greater power. For he goes on to say, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's what the healing is about. Now, Sam had talked about this last week, or two Sundays ago. He said, you know, you take the miracles of Jesus and, and now the apostles, and you'd understand enough simply, you know, just kind of acts to make people go, wow, isn't that great? They are signs. They are signs, first of all, that Jesus was from God, but by the type of signs that they were, the type of miracles, they were signaling the great miracle that Jesus had come to do. And what is that? To bring new life. To bring, or as Dr. Butata would have said last Sunday, to bring new, flourishing life. Eternal life. To put it clearly, the great miracle is our salvation. That's the question before us. How are we, who are dead in our sins, who are sick, who are lame, who are blind... How are we, who are in bondage to our guilt, how are we ever to have any hope of being saved? Well, our hope is that by the name of Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, he being the Messiah, he is the one who is the anointed one whom the Israelites have been looking forward to, who had come to redeem his people. That is where our hope is in. And it is to this to this testimony that the disciples have been commissioned as apostles to bear witness to. And that is what they are boldly doing on trial before the elders right now. So they they witness and the, the authorities are taken aback. Now let's pick up with the authorities now in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, And they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healing standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak 
or teach it all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom their sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Now again, the religious authorities, they get it right about what is at issue. Now, either the apostles, uh, what they are doing, it's resting upon Satan, upon God, whatever. It's resting upon a name. And they are saying, the apostles are saying, it's the name of Jesus. Now, how these same authorities, how they can reconcile, I mean, they've seen the, the boldness of the, you know, of the apostles. There's the man standing right beside them. And how they can still not get it, I don't know. All I do know is that their worst fear has come true. Jesus is back. He's back there now in the public square. And they had so desperately attempted to get him in that grave and make him stay in that grave. Now, here they all, the only thing they can try to do is, well, just don't mention his name again. You kind of had to feel a little bit sorry for them in their desperate efforts. Now, the name of Jesus is going to appear one more time in our text. The apostles come back. They gather with their friends for a prayer meeting, beginning in verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and then he quotes Psalm 2, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth shut themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in their city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord... Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. So now what's happening here? Now, the, the disciples have gathered back together. They are offering up their prayer, and they make reference to Psalm 2. And what is it that they see in Psalm 2? They see there that the opposition spoken of in that psalm back then is the opposition that they are facing right now. Psalm 2, in some way, is being fulfilled at this moment. The rulers were 
against the Lord and against his anointed, the Messiah. And they also see how Jesus is proven to be the Messiah because of the way that the miracles are being accomplished through his name. And so, in truth, there is power in the name of Jesus. And as if any further proof was needed, the building begins to shake. Now let's put this back together here. Jesus. What is it about that name? Now as tempting as it is to attach power to a name or a word or a spell, it's not the name. It's the person with the name who possesses power. And this is easy for us to understand, isn't it? I can recall one time when I was in Philadelphia. I'm walking along the street. It's about it's dusk. It's starting to get dark. And there are these city teenagers playing around. They got up on top of a wall, okay, and into someone's property. I walk up. And I ordered them to get down. And you know what they did? They jumped down immediately. Now, why? Well, they didn't fear my physical strength, I don't think. My voice is not one that typically strikes fear. They jumped down because they heard the voice of their school principal. Boy, they jumped down. Because of the authority that I bore with my title. Now, one of my teachers could have come and they could have gotten the same result. They could have said, I am going to report you to Principal Clark. In other words, they could have acted in my name. And they could have used my authority to exercise power over them. Well, that's what's going on here with the apostles using Jesus' name. That's what Peter first explained to the crowd that had witnessed a miracle. You, you know, I think it's by our power, by our piety, that we kind of made this man walk. And that's when he teaches them about Jesus and his authority, his name. It has, he has to be healed because of the authority of Jesus. Now, as I noted earlier, Even the religious leaders understood this point. That's why they're asking that question. By whose power were you healing this man? Well, it's under the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is the badge of authority and power by which they act. That is what exercising the power of Jesus' name means. But again, Peter wants to take this further, as he did with before the religious leaders. As we saw, Peter contended, like it's not just under the name of Jesus that, um, uh, that you know, I can do these neat little tricks, but it's only under the name of Jesus that anyone can be saved from their sins. See, that was the point when asked by the crowd of Pentecost. Do you remember, you know, Jesus Getting up, I mean, Peter getting up there preaching, and the people actually respond, and they say, what must we do? And he says, what, what, is, what, what did they need to do? They had to repent and be baptized, what? In the name 
of Jesus. They had to put themselves under the protecting lordship of Jesus Christ. And this is the real way of, to understand salvation. You know, at the turn of the last century, there was a phrase that became popular among us evangelicals. It was the phrase, you need to invite Jesus into your heart. It became very popular, and we would tell folks, look, what you, what you really need is a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, I'm not going to use this time to debate how good or bad such phrases are, but what you're going to see in Acts, and you will see in all of the New Testament, that the problem of people in the way that it's presented is not that they don't have a personal relationship with God or with Jesus, but that their sins have placed them, they are under condemnation. That's why they're called to repent. They need to get out of that condemnation. And the question is, how? Well, it's by coming under the protection of Jesus. It is Jesus who saves us from the guilt of sin. It is Jesus' work on the cross that has broken the power of Satan and of death itself. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our protector. As Peter said, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's why Peter keeps bringing the conversation back to Jesus. It's neat to see how the Spirit came upon the apostles in in the day of Pentecost. But as he said, what matters is knowing that Jesus is the Messiah to whom we turn for salvation. It's nice that the lame man is healed. But that's only for the purpose of demonstrating the power of Jesus to save. That is the work that only Jesus can do. Not Buddha, not Krishna, not Muhammad, not any other name, not by any other work. Only Jesus possesses that kind of power. For only Jesus has the power to save. Now, if you've come to the point where you know that you are a sinner and you're ready to repent of your sin, then, then do what they say to do. Call upon the name of Jesus for your salvation. Call upon him as your Savior, as your Lord. And here's what Jesus has promised to you. In John 6, verse 40. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Now, to you who have done this, you've called on the name of Jesus for your salvation. Remember, remember to live under and in the power of his name. We're not saved, and then we're left on our own to kind of live up to that salvation. And sometimes we act that way. You hear me oftentimes mention it in my pastoral prayer. We, we think, okay, I, I, I need to do my part 
to be saved. You know, Jesus does this part, and I've got to do mine. Or, okay, he saved me. I've got to prove myself worthy in some way of salvation. That's what happened to the Christians in the city of Colossae. Somehow they'd gotten it into their heads that they had to do their part in earning God's favor. They, they needed to observe some rituals and regulations to make themselves, you know, make themselves more holy. Get themselves closer to God. And so Paul wrote to them. And he's lifting their eyes to Jesus. Let me read to you from Colossians 1, 15 to 22. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, through Jesus Christ, and for him. And he is before all things, and and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you... You who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. It's in Jesus Christ. It is by Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus Christ that we live. That we will reach that day of glory. We're loved by God the Father because, not because we happen to do some good things this past week, but because we have been adopted through his Son, Jesus Christ, and for no other reason. We are assured that we will reach glory, not because we're, we're, well, we're going to keep that quiet time every day, but because of the work of Jesus. And Jesus will not fail. The reason why the name of Jesus should be so sweet to us is because of the power that is in his name. The power to save us, the power to protect us, the power to bring us someday into glory. We give you thanks, our God, for our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we are saved by whose name we live now, because of whose name, someday, someday that we will behold you in glory. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our last hymn, 647. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds. Let's stand together.